Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. This is the Wednesday, November 16th, 2016 episode of the Carolina Weather Group. Uh, welcome tonight. We're going to be talking about the uh, outlook for winter weather. We have Dean Davidson on with us uh, from the Weather Pros, and Dean is uh, flying solo right now, and we hope to have one of his colleagues uh, join us uh, uh, during the show. I think he had a late flight, so uh, hopefully we can get uh, more of the weather pros on tonight to, to talk about this upcoming winter forecast. But uh, definitely those guys uh, haven't nailed down that is what their business is all about. That's how they, they bring in the money. So uh, I know Dean's got everything lined up, uh, ready to talk about the this winter that we expect here in the Carolinas and all throughout the Southeast. So uh, looking forward to having Dean back on with us tonight and uh, glad to be back. I was telling everybody else I've Sorry, I had to take the past couple of weeks off. Uh, we've been fighting forest fires here in western North Carolina, and those uh, those wildfires have continued. Uh, I'm going to pull up this uh, map right here, or the website right quick, and kind of show you guys what is going on here in western North Carolina. I'm first going to talk about the uh, Party Rock Fire. Uh, this is just outside of uh, Lake Lure, Chimney Rock area. Um, this is a tourist destination, especially here in the fall time. It's always busy. Uh-oh, the map went away. Uh, but a, a very busy spot right now. The, the whole town of Chimney Rock is evacuated uh, due to this fire. As of uh, almost 7 o'clock tonight, 5,714 acres uh, is current the current size of the fire. 19% contained 100, or 426 uh, firefighters and emergency personnel on the fire. Uh, contain, uh, containment date right now is tentatively uh, December the 1st, uh, but that is very tentative. Uh, not sure that's going to be achieved, uh, but that's what they're, uh, they're going for right now. So that is the Party Rock Fire. And then the Chestnut Knob Fire, which is literally about 20 miles outside of my home right here. So uh, very close to where I live at. Anyone who's watching from... Uh, Burke County, Catawba, Mc, uh, McDowell, even down into the Charlotte metropolitan area. Uh, you guys have been feeling the effects of the uh, Chestnut Knob Fire. As of 645 tonight, uh, 5,689 acres uh, currently burning, uh, 234 firefighters and emergency personnel. And I will tell you guys, uh, there are very limited, uh, very little North Carolina Forest Service personnel on this fire. This is actually being handled by the Florida uh Forest Service. Um, the green team is up here actually uh, fighting the fire, and as, as well as uh, personnel from Alaska, Oregon, and Oklahoma are here in uh, Burke County talk, uh, helping fight the uh, the Chestnut Knob Fire at South Mountain State Park. So, again, that's about 10 miles south of Morganton. So, again, about 10, 15 miles from where I'm at right now. Uh, thankfully, it wasn't as smoky today, but throughout the past several days, it's been smoke-filled, code red, uh, air quality days all throughout the uh, the foothills and the, the Charlotte metropolitan area. I'll, I'll toss it to Kit here in just a little bit and let him talk about what's going on in the Charlotte area where they have been uh, battling the uh, the bad air as well. But possible containment right now is looking to be Saturday, November 26th. Uh, again, that's kind of tentative with, uh, with that as well because, uh, A, we're expecting some gusty winds this uh, weekend with a cold front passage and – no rain. There we go. <laughs> and no rain. Yeah, we're looking at uh, 
Winds 25, 30, uh, gusting up to 40, so that's going to really fan the flames, as well as Shay said, no rain and possibility of some low humidities on Sunday. So uh, not ideal uh, conditions for uh, for fighting fires. So again, uh, it's, it's very uh, smoky, and that that's just two fires that's going on. There's several fires that's going on in the southwestern part of the state, Um let me look at that right quick, and I'll tell you some of the acreages of that. We have one fire, the Telco fire, uh, almost 14,000 acres burning with it. Uh, the Borderler fire, which is about 9,000 acres. Again, this is all in the southwestern part of uh, the state of North Carolina. And also, Shay, you may know a little bit more about this one, uh, the Pinnacle fire in the upstate of South Carolina. Uh, I'm not sure what the acre uh, acreage is on that as well, but that's a pretty big fire that's popped up over the past couple of days. So um, very dry conditions here in Western North Carolina. We're battling all kinds of forest fires, bad air and no rain. So it's uh, kind of a, uh, kind of a sad place to be right now here in Western North Carolina. I'll, I'll stop gabbing about it uh, after this. Well, Scotty, I'll, I'll go ahead and um, kind of, Tune in for you and go ahead and do the Charleston area for what our weather's been like here because it's really not a whole lot different from what you guys are seeing up there in North Carolina, except that you're getting the fires and more smoke. We're, we're still seeing heavy blanketing of smoke down here. Our air quality has gone up. We went up to 178 last night, so that's in the code red. And um, so we're getting the word out to folks, you know, if you have children, elderly, any, anyone like that, do not take, you know, do not be outside for any extended period of time. In fact, stay inside as much as you can with uh, recirculating air on your AC, recirc on your car. You just don't want to be exposed to it for very long. Uh, the winds up there, I did look at the Asheville uh, weather station, and it is showing a shot of cold northwesterly winds. In fact, the southeast region will cool down, but this will, this will be another driving mechanism for the fires and the smoke all the way down to the coastline again with gusting all the way up into the 30s. Uh, even near 40, uh, Saturday night starting at about between 7 and 10 p.m. I'll, I'll try to tune in on that and get some information to you guys up there, Scotty. Um, uh, as soon as that front's going to pass through, then we're going to see this cold shot of northwesterly wind, and that's definitely what we do not need. Uh, looking at the long run, medium range for rains, it does not look like anything is going to be able to penetrate these fires. The fires are basically taking on a life of their own atmospherically, and creating their own pattern, their own weather pattern over the entire southeast region. Uh, if we look here, I'll go ahead and share a screen. Let me know when you can see this. There it is. Got it? Okay, so this yeah. is the NASA worldview, and you can see how thick the smoke is from these fires. It, it doesn't look like there's a lot of fires, but there certainly are. Uh, and you can see the smoke trailing down with just general light northwesterly winds and all that, all layers of the atmosphere carrying this all the way down. So it's enhancing the high pressure of the entire southeast region. You can see how thick the smoke is off the coastline in the Atlantic Ocean, extending all the way to behind a stalled cold front well out in the ocean. So uh, some of the cleared areas in between the capes, that's some sea breezing. Some of that cleaner upper air was able to go out to the ocean and sort of circulate back into the coastline. But that's short-lived as we get into tomorrow morning and the dew and the condensation bringing the smoke down. Uh, but you can, you can get an idea. Here's um, another image from MODIS imaging where you can kind of see how extensive that smoke goes. It goes all the way up the eastern seaboard, even past the mid-Atlantic states, and some of the southerly winds are carrying it up. Um, cold front approach this weekend. The cold front's going to break apart and dry out by the time it gets even near these fires, uh, and especially over them. 
there's so much dry air and heat over them and there's there's you know basically um where fronts would come to the southeast to die we call this frontolysis uh, it's going to probably do that as soon as it gets near the fires it's just there's just that much dry air and heat abundant for those uh cold fronts and that's going to be the case for the next two or three cold front runs i believe unless we get something significant like an upper low able to make it down over this area um we're not looking at rain anytime soon so i'm a little surprised that they're saying their containment's going to be december 1st um just based on the the medium range forecasting but hey that's that's pretty much it um let me take a look real quick this is what i'm talking about with air quality index uh being very thick so the current Air quality index for us along the coastline is in the orange. We're at about 157 right now. Um, that's red, but there's still labeling as orange. Labeling is orange along the coastline, but you can see the pockets of the red and the uh, the thicker smoke. If we get into the uh, forecast for it, DHEC has a site tomorrow's forecast for South Carolina. We have more of it, so it's not going anywhere anytime soon. We may get a little bit of clearing down here Friday before those winds bring the northwesterly flow back down Saturday and into Sunday again. So. That's what we're looking at here in Charleston. Back to you, Scotty. Yeah, Shay. Um, one thing also, totally not talking about this, but since uh, you're talking right now, uh, kind of looking at the tropics as well, maybe the kind of the the final uh, last hurrah the tropics is wanting to throw to us. <laughs> tropics. Well, we are watching an area down in the southwestern Caribbean Sea right now. It's very slow, very slow um, to develop. It's really just a broad area of troughing. It's trying to get organized into a low pressure system uh, or a surface low. Uh, the model forecasting does build it into a named storm, which would be auto, but it doesn't really give a whole lot of guidance on when. I mean, we're looking maybe the next 48 hours at NHC. Last time I looked, in fact, let me look that up real quick. That's when I looked this morning. It was 30% chance the next 48 hours. I've got enough still here there, for you. And 80% uh, chance the next five days, and that's still the same as of 7 o'clock p.m. tonight. So, you know, it's, it just shows that that's why our hurricane season runs until November the 30th. In fact, uh, 2004, the last time we had auto, uh, started at the very end of November and went through December the 3rd as a tropical storm. So we, we um, always watch these areas where there's still warm water left, and there's just enough warm water, about 86 degree water down in the Caribbean, to help give those systems some fuel down there. So, um, so season's not over yet. Uh, we are in a La Nina phase now, weak La Nina. Uh, that was issued last week by uh, INSEP. And so that's another reason why we haven't been able to get a lot of rain down into the southeast because the La Nina pattern keeps us drier than normal. And uh, most of the systems are heading off to our north uh, along an upper jet or polar jet that stays to our north. So, And until we get something significant uh, to drop down our way with, with some cooler air and, and um, upper low, uh, we're looking at this kind of pattern for the next few weeks. I wonder what we could do to entice Otto to come up here in the southeast. Any little tricks we could we could offer it something? I mean, come on. We need some help up here, Otto. Well, yeah. you'd have to be fighting yeah. advice that it's getting from Hermine and Matthew, which both missed the places that need it the most. Yeah. 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 You would need a miracle upper trough to dig way down into the Caribbean <laughs> and lift it up. Uh, not going to happen. Uh, well, let's go to uh, the Queen City with uh, Kit. How's, uh, how's the weather down there in Charlotte? The weather is mighty fine. <laughs> no, it's uh, it's actually probably the worst I've ever seen of as, as far as air quality goes. Just living here in the Queen City for twenty some years. Um, one thing I saw this morning, uh, courtesy of Aggie, uh, one of our professors here, um, I saw that it was a 
air quality count of like 173, I think, this morning. Um, meanwhile, over in Vienna, uh, the air quality count over there was 180. So uh, I've got to live in Beijing for a day, more or less. Um, but it, honestly, I understand why they say like, don't stay outside for a long time because um, when I was outside, like it just one, it just smelled terrible, unusual, I should say. Um, but uh, one of the things, like when I was just walking into class this morning, it just I was breathing really heavy. I can't imagine what it's like being up there in uh, the mountains with you, Scotty. But um, heard of. Of fraternities aren't all a group of uh, guys on campus today who heard about the code red air quality alert this morning um, and decided to have their own fundraiser um, in biking through this mess for however many hours in form of a fundraiser, which I will say here, whomever is watching, don't do that. Be smart. Don't put your own health at risk for for fun so that, that's my little rant for today i'll step off the joey podium for the day <laughs> well another thing uh tomorrow night uh thursday night football with the carolina panthers and new orleans saints uh, hopefully the air quality is going to be a little be a little bit better uh tomorrow evening as those winds kind of shift out of the south and keep the smoke away from uh downtown so let's go well, up i, I, oh, I go think ahead. we'll be able to uh, at, at least by the middle to the end of the game we'll figure out how to like get the smoke away because we usually blow the game either way <laughs> easy easy my heart's still come on hey, no, I, I've, I've started getting a little bit bitter with my panthers i'm still a panthers fan but i'm getting a little bit bitter with them yeah they're my tugging heart, on a lot of people's emotions <laughs> my heart's still hurting from sunday so <laughs> i don't know i don't know why i'm going back tomorrow night to watch another game but we'll see anyways let's go up to uh sunny and let's see, what'd you get up to today, David? What, what, 68. Guys, 68. I was getting ready to say 70, but not, not too bad. Your uh, yeah, endless I mean, summer continues. <laughs> pretty much. I mean, we had one cool day that was Saturday in which we had highs in the upper 40s, low 50s, finally below average. I actually kind of enjoyed it. And then, I mean, I could be talking about record highs on Friday. The record here is 77. Uh, I went 73. How models have been performing here locally, 77 is within reach in all honesty. And then a uh, significant cold front moved through later in the day, Saturday and early Sunday. Again, not much rain. We're going to have to start talking about that D word here locally as well, drought. We're looking at five to seven inches in terms of the rainfall deficit for the year. Most of that has come within the past couple of months. Take away Matthew and a half an inch to an inch and a half of rain it gave us here locally. And we're looking at less than about half an inch to three quarters of an inch area wide in terms of rain since the rain that we had at the end of September. So, again, droughts is probably going to be the bigger word here. We don't pick up anything soon. Saturday's front, eh, maybe. Honestly, I think the best chance is going to be a few flurries in the mountains, and that would honestly be about it. And then cold. Oh, yeah, we're looking at a good – Good cold down as we get into uh, Sunday. In fact, we could be looking at our first highs in the 40s for the first time since April 9th, a stretch of about 220 days. That gets us into the 
top 10 longest stretch in which we have not been uh, below 50 for a daytime high. So it, it's, it seems like it's been forever and it kind of has, but I'm looking forward to the cool down and I may even try to head to the mountains this weekend to see if I can catch a rogue flurry or two. That was going to be my <laughs> yeah. next question. That was going to be my next question. How many, uh, how, how many snowflakes are you predicting for your area? <laughs> I, again, just the higher elevations of the Blue Ridge, Blue Ridge Parkway, Skyline Drive, maybe, maybe a report or two in some of our northern counties up in Madison, Culpeper, closer to the D.C. area. I don't think we'll see much here in the city of Charlottesville. I know some uh, Richmond TV stations are mentioning the possibility. I mean, it is a possibility, but I'm more certain at this range of a few flurries in the mountains. Of course, I don't think anything will stick, but hey. Who knows? Maybe weather will surprise me and be like, here you go, David. Here's a nice little coating just for you. Yeah, I thought David seemed like he got a little bit excited about that today on his post. And, and I was thinking, man, yeah, when January rolls around, yeah, it's cold air damming up that way. I'm sure we'll be hearing something a little different. But um, hey, I it, wanna, it, was, it was fun last January. Yeah. Scott, I wanted to ask you real quick. I know we got to get on topic here with, um, with Dean with Weather Pros. But how many inches of rain do you think it would take to put out the fire? That's a question I've been getting a lot lately. And the last time I checked in with you, you said about three to – was it three to five inches? And what are you thinking now? So to, to, you said to put out the fire, correct? Yes. Okay. So there's, there's a – and I'm, I'm learning because I don't know a lot about fire weather. And so the past week or so, I've been able to lean on, on my chief uh, who works for us here at the Foothills Weather Network. That's his background is, is fire weather. So there's a KBDI index, and I think that KBDI index, let me look at my email that he sent out earlier this morning. I think it was right around six inches now. Golly, that's a, that's a tall order to ask for right now, too. God. Let's see. Here it is. Five point five point seven nine inches of rain. So wow. basically, basically six inches. So, uh, and I did get those initials right. Yeah, KBDI. So yeah, I'm learning about fire weather, but uh, yeah, so around six inches of rain right now to get this fire out. So uh, it's it's going to take a lot. What what we really need is just uh, three or four days of just a steady rain. You know, nothing. Yeah, too I can't even imagine stuff. what the what the slurry of ash would be like. It'd probably be like yeah. mudslides, you know, how yeah, thick it would be. It'd probably get all over everything. And that's the thing now. When you're driving through town, if the wind's blowing just right, you can see little particles of ash falling out of the sky. So um, it's interesting. And, in fact, evacuations have uh, started here in, for the uh, the chest, Chestnut Knob fire. Five homes last night was evacuated. There's a possibility of another two or three roads that are more populated um, are are on the verge of being evacuated. None yet, but on the verge. So we could start to see those come down in the next day or two. And they're really worried with this wind picking up that uh, that it could cause some, some evacuation. So the local recreation center in town, they've opened up for shelter and uh, will continue to, or will stay open, I guess, throughout the, uh, the duration until at least the fire's away from, from people's homes. So, wow. All right. Well, enough about well, fires. Let's talk about something those, fun. <laughs> let's, yeah, talking about stuff, white stuff falling from the sky. Yeah, so let's, let's talk about that. Um, so Dean Davidson joining us from the Weather Pros. Dean, uh, we're not going to – first of all, we're not going to come and find you if, if this weather prediction doesn't 
doesn't come to fruition. We're not going to do that. But I might. Um, yes, we are. <laughs> yeah, you know what Roman is, don't you, David? Yeah. <laughs> we, uh, we, I, I can't speak for everybody else, but I am a, a big kid. I can't let it influence my forecasting, but I'm a big kid when I see it snow. So I, I love to see the white stuff come out of the sky. So I guess my first question is not necessarily here in, in North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia, but kind of give us a broad scope of, of what you guys are seeing throughout the country wise with, with this upcoming winter. And then we'll kind of narrow it down to uh, specific locations. All right. Well, first off, Dean Davidson with the weather produce. Yeah. Talking about fire weather. I have asthma. Bad thing for having that. But anyway, um, talking about uh, the winter, anywhere north of Virginia, if you draw a line pretty much across the country, anywhere north of, uh, say, my, the Roanoke area, um, we're saying uh, – average to 15% above average. Now the 15 to 30% above average is going to be mainly in your uh, Great Lakes and uh, the Northern Plains, which looks to get some snow probably coming up here late in the week. And then uh, also for some of our clients uh, late, late in the week and uh, in early uh, also next week. Uh, we also see some lake effect snow issues along Lake Erie and uh, also in New York where my boss Rob's Greeno is from, which unfortunately he is, late on a flight, so he'll uh, may or may not pop in here. Sorry about that. Uh, the other thing we're seeing also is um, that below that, we're going to see less than average snows. Unfortunately for, uh, for North Carolina, when we go into that, we are expecting less than average snowfall. Uh, for Roanoke and Charlottesville, I would say we're looking at at least an average, maybe an inch or two above. I don't see it being much different. La Nina is really uh, – going to phase out into a more neutral pattern and I'll show you that here momentarily uh, when we get in towards the Carolina weather uh, itself um, and show you a place where you can actually find your city and what we're expecting uh, which is a site that we developed called the winterforecast.com it's uh, from the weather pros so we have pretty much three site uh, three sites now um, we're running with which is uh, the weatherpros.com which is for our company for our clients to go through liveweatherblogs.com, which we're always looking for bloggers. So if anybody out there is, wants to blog for us, possibly make a little extra cash on the side. Um, I'll have my information up at the end, in, at the end here to contact me. Also, um, we have thewinterforecast.com, which is for people to look anywhere in the country. We have hundreds of cities um, and snow uh, areas by state or by city on that site. So, We'll go through that here in a minute, and I'll show you. Uh, Charlotte, believe it or not, is one of our top cities that is being looked at. Very cool. Well, um, we, we've been hearing about this, and, and Shay's been talking about it a little bit, so Shay, you can jump in as well. Uh, we're talking about a La Nina. And for those who are watching tonight who may uh, just be casual weather followers and not really know La Ninas and El Ninas and stuff like that, tell us uh, – exactly what a La Nina is and what kind of weather is normally associated with that? Well, La Nina is, <clears throat> La Nina and El Nino are based on an area of the Pacific Ocean along the equator, the equatorial Pacific, uh, where we monitor, or everyone in the weather community monitors this area for climatic patterns across North America. Uh, when the waters are warmer than normal, above 0.5 degrees Celsius, 
Uh, and it's like that for some period of time. There's a lot of mathematics that go in behind this. It's not just when it reaches that level that they automatically go to El Nino. It has to be a consistent pattern for about two, well, sometimes up to two months, sometimes up to a month. It just depends on what INSEP and uh, the meteorological community, kind of what's going on in the, in the past, the history. Uh, but right now, the temperatures have gone down below normal at minus 0.5 degrees Celsius or below for long enough to issue a La Nina advisory. Uh, what that means is you have a cooler pool of water over equatorial Pacific, specifically uh, in Nino region 3.4, which is kind of, I wish I could share screen and pull it all up, but I didn't uh, kind of prepare for that, Scotty, but uh, it's kind of hard to, to visualize. What it really means is that um, the most of the pattern for the United States is that we have a, a polar jet that stays to the north along the northern tier and sort of swings down over the mid-Atlantic region, but not quite down into the south. So you have a lot of cool air traveling along the northern tier of the United States, across the Great Lakes, and into the northeast United States. Um, so you have a cooler than average or with rain above average or at average along eastern, northeastern United States. And then you have below average with drier air than normal along the southeast and also the west coast, there's some effects over there as well, whereas in El Nino, you may have an opposite pattern. So it really goes based on history and it's, and it's constantly changing. It's being tweaked every time we have one of these events. The Enso neutral, what Dean talked about, is where it's in between. It's not really doing much, but a La Nina pattern favors more tropical development as we get into spring and summer. We, we typically would see uh, earlier development of tropical cyclones earlier in the season as a result of um, this pattern La Nina, which makes weaker upper wind shearing in the Caribbean and uh, the North Atlantic environment. There's a, there's a lot, of, lot of science to go into that. But um, basically, uh, what I outlined there was the drier than normal and warmer than normal pattern for the southeastern United States. And uh, about average, I would say average for, for precip and cooler than normal temperatures across the northern tier to the northeast. And uh, that's... That's kind of it, Dean. What do you think as far as your winter forecast? How are you basing that on La Nina? I'll show you here in a second. First thing I'm going to show you, I'm going to switch over here to a screen. Okay. We have something called the winterforecast.com. I don't know if you can see that well. Uh, go down here. Cities that are looked up most uh, North Carolina down here. Um, these are cities. You can look up any city of the thousands, uh, hundreds to near 1,000 that we have for that on the winter forecast but when we're going to go here to the actual um talk about the actual winter forecast itself we're talking about enso and uh right here we're in the la nina zone this is uh right now through or right around uh february i mean in january time frame we're going to look at it being in the la nina zone which means we're going to see um the la nina start early which is like you said uh it's going to make it drier than normal and you're actually going to see more colder spells sneak into the southeast with that. Um, then you're going to get into more of a, uh, a neutral zone, which will allow the moisture to catch up. And when that happens, you're going to see, um, going into that, more of a snow issue. Let's see. Right now, we're in a week La Nina through right around January. Then we'll get into the February and March time frame when the La Nina is going to go away. But... When we're looking at the week La Nina, uh, the best time I see it for North Carolina was going to actually be in January into February. Um, I think that's going to be the best time for the chances of snowfall. Um, and we're going to be below average, obviously, 
but I have numbers here for different cities. Um, average in like Asheville is 13.2. We're looking at a 10 inch snowfall. Uh, places like Grandfather Mountain, it's a lot of snow, 53.5 on average. We're looking at 44. Um, I actually have shared this to you guys, uh, the actual audio blog I did on this. But like certain areas, um, other areas such as Greensboro, 5.2 inches, normal 7.6. Uh, Mount Airy, 9.3, 7.7, what we're calling for. So we go through and call this. Uh, Temperature-wise, we're looking at uh, normal, normal to maybe slightly above normal in January. Then we're normal, uh, I mean, Janu uh, December. In January, we'll see a normal. Uh, and then get colder towards February before we start warming up um, in March, which could also spell an issue for ice storms. So that's, a, that's another issue we're looking at for the actual Carolinas is uh, sometimes when these storms develop, there's more uh, warm air involved with them, which would allow to have more ice um, and snow. So I, I fear we're going to probably have at least one pretty good ice storm uh, into Carolinas up through Virginia. So that's just a, a overview of what I see for the Carolinas. I'll tell you this, we have a little pool going on in our weather office and looking at some of the, uh, some of the weather models long term, I wouldn't be surprised if we seen a little wintry something mid to late December, just the way things are starting to line up. But uh, we'll see. Agree. We'll see. Uh, it's 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 interesting. It's definitely changed over the past couple of of weeks. But um, but yeah, I agree with you with the ice storms. That's something that um, it's been a while since we've had a decent ice storm uh, up in the Greensboro area. They had one a couple of years ago, but as into Charlotte and Hickory and places like that, it's been a while. So well, we had one last year, a pretty decent one uh, here. So um, I'm actually uh, we had well over. Uh, the one half, uh, let's see, we got close to a half inch in a certain area east of us um, last year uh, in the mountains. They were close to a half inch ice. It was that one big ice storm we had, and uh, we totally were, you couldn't drive, a, you couldn't drive, you couldn't walk pretty much. Uh, that was late last year, and that was in a uh, El Nino phase. But like I said, we've switched over to this week La Nina. So, right. Anyway, guys, dry. I've got a, um, a screen share that uh, I just just pulled it up, pulled up the the ENSO diagnostic uh, that they put out every month. And uh, let me know if you can see this. Everybody see this okay? Yeah, just press yep. it. Okay. All right, so let's see. I'm going to zoom back, zoom into that. This is the uh, Outlook. Uh, this just came out on the 14th U.S. Seasonal Outlook. Uh, this is including the, the week La Nina right now where it shows the general trend. Over here on the left, we have precipitation, which B, uh, means below normal uh, for the southern, for basically all the way from the southwest to the southeast United States along the southern half, uh, below normal precipitations uh, within, and then you see along the northern tier up along uh, Montana and then up along the Great Lakes above normal precipitation. So that means you're probably going to see more wintry events. This is going from November through January of 2017. So that doesn't even include February and March when we still see a lot of the heavy winter uh, precept going on. And then over here on the temperature, we have above normal out in the southwest United States and slightly above normal on the southeast all the way up to even to the northeast. Uh, gets a little bit of an above, more elevated above normal value, but that does not mean that we will not see um, any major significant winter events. It just means that's the general pattern for 
La Nina based on all the historical analogs that they've put together to put this pattern out. So if we start getting warm temperatures around Christmas, don't be surprised. It probably is a result of, of La Nina effects. Um, just as we saw last year with El Nino when it shouldn't have been there, uh, we can still see some of these very strange patterns going on across the United States. So um, there again, Dean, I'm not sure if you factored uh, the latest into your modeling because I know that you guys work very hard and trying to keep up with everything and you probably make some adjustments here and there along the way. Yeah, we do make a few adjustments. We didn't get the latest one in there. This was uh, from the one prior that we got. We, we built that graphic off of. Um, but it also showed going into this uh, weak La Nina pattern. And then we call it the La Nada pattern, which means no, no La Nina uh, and no El Nino. Like I said, uh, people that are going to benefit this year is going to be up in uh, the Great Lakes area in the upper Midwest. They're going to see a lot more snow than normal um, based on this pattern. Um, but we can always got to watch out for one of those uh, really slick snow events and ice events that can creep up, uh, such as 1996 which could blow anybody's winter forecast out of the water. So yep. um, one, one big storm, all of the forecasts go pretty much out the window. But if we look at what normally happens on the years and analog years that kind of fit this pattern, you know, it shows for slightly below average uh, here in North Carolina, Virginia area. And like I said, where I live in Roanoke, it's like I'm calling for 23 point seven it's normally a 22 inch uh normal and because we're right like on the border of like normal to above normal uh, it, it really depends on where the storms line up and like i said i think the major thing that i'm going to push if you live in the carolinas or virginia or, or south even south carolina is ice i think we're going to get at least one good ice storm out of just because historically it happens in this kind of a pattern. Yeah, I mean, sometimes we get these, uh, you know, just the right kind of setup um, when we have, uh, you know, a significant nor'easter build from the Gulf of Mexico and come across. Uh, that's that's not out of the question, but I've already seen the model runs come across a couple of times from outside of 200 hours with uh, with a little bit of a a dip down to the southeast with some ice or snow down into North Carolina, parts of upstate South Carolina, but then the, those have already gone away. Uh, but it's always something you look at and you're like, oh, you know, you, your eyebrows get, you know, and, and everyone kind of gets, oh, wow, you know, that's kind of neat. Uh, but you can see what the models are, are trying to bring that moisture down. Um, <laughs> and depending that's on how these fires go, man, I'll tell you what, it may be hard to get any of that stuff down here uh, into the into the southeast region. And you look Okay, models that far out, that's what we call like called dream casting uh, yeah. or wish casting. You uh, got a lot of people that have, you know, sites that don't have uh, legit uh, people behind them. And you, you get those, you know, 280 hours out uh, models that you're going to get 30 inches of snow in Roanoke and it never amounts to more than maybe two inches if it even does it. So, I mean, everybody goes by one model run. And, and what you have to, in our business, have to do is never go by just one model run. Hey, if we're a week out, somewhat consistent. Hey, we mentioned it, but we mentioned it's only one model run, and this is not a forecast. Because if you, if people are always going to take it as that's your forecast, um, but then once we get closer, you know, especially for like our clients and stuff, we want to let them know as far out as we can, uh, statistically, um, able to let them know what we're we're seeing with snowfall potential and ice. But if they don't, you know, we don't want to give any false data to them. We want to give them the idea: hey, we may see some snow between let's say the 17th and the 20th. 
because um, the models have been projecting that way. But we always keep them updated with the latest info, and we don't change a lot. Like we're not going to put you, give you numbers, uh, 280 hours uh, out in the system because that's just bad meteorology and bad weather forecasting all around. I bet you anybody else can can agree with that. Um, but that's just one of the ways we operate. We give them as we give people in clients and in our websites the most uh, accurate information we can as far out as possible. But we we never try to hype anything up. And that's one thing that possibly more so here in the Carolinas, but really anywhere um, when it comes to snow forecasting, it, you do have to do it with uh, slight moderation so that you don't hype it up and um, get excited yourself about the snow and it only be um, what, what we sort of refer to as wish casting here. Correct. And then here's the other thing. It's like we have a, we have a lot of people that are like, oh, you missed a storm, whatever. Um, you have to have thick skin in, in this business. You're going to get a lot of people that are going to get on your Facebook page and down you for what you've done. But if you have, uh, we've been a company uh, for a while. Uh, the Weather Pros, Live Weather Blog has been around since, uh, let's see, we're going on our ninth year this year um, to do our transitions. And the Weather Pros came out of that. We've been around for a while. Um, people know Rob. People know me. We've built a pretty good client base uh, off of that. Uh, our other forecaster, Jarrett Moore, he's really good at what he does. Also, Christopher Wright, which we have this year. We have some guys, different spots, different forecasting abilities. My forecasting abilities are really good in severe weather, but I've gotten much better um, with, with snow forecasting. And then we get a lot of comments, well, how can you call this snowfall in, you know, the fall, snowfall numbers in June? Well, we just take a look at the ENSO and take a look at the pattern, and we give a, a, a really good educated guess. And it's not a forecast, it's an educated guess, um, but we've been very accurate uh, over the past, uh, since we've done this. I mean, in Roanoke, when I forecast in Roanoke, the, the worst I've had is a uh, positive two like three years ago. Um, everything's been under that. So I, I think that is a win. Well, Dean, looking at your site, um, kind of going, I want to get back to WeatherPro's website where your the winter forecast Winterforecast.com. Looking at your website, um, yeah. I see you have latest blogs, and it looks like Joe is it Joe Stradamus? Yeah, that is meteorologist Joe Chaffee. Um, he, believe it or not, is a very well-known meteorologist in the Northeast. When I was a kid, okay, he was doing uh, weather on meteorology uh, on New Jersey 101.5. So I used to live in New Jersey. Um, that's how far back he goes, and he it's a privilege because he uh, takes his site and he writes for us also. And he's, he's a great guy. I mean, we have, we have some people that have some, some background that blog for us. I mean, anybody can blog for us that wants to. Um, but, yeah, uh, that's uh, meteorologist Joe Chaffee is uh, Joe Stradamus. He just uses that as a catchy thing, and his forecasts are very accurate also. Very good. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, you kind of led me into the next question. It uh, looks like he's a very active blogger there, and you have a lot of uh, people chiming in, and, and uh, you have a lot of activity going on there. And then you also have uh, – being paid to blog. Uh, explain how that works. I, I know some folks, if, if they, um, are, you know, are, are very passionate about weather and they're meteorologists, they want to they do some blogs about weather. How does that work? Well, basically, what we're going to do is we're going to set you up. Uh, you're going to email us. We're going to send you to Rob. Rob's going to send out information on our, our, 
our pay per you know what what we expect with the blogs we want to build a blogging base that will blog often and the more often they blog obviously the more uh background they're going to get and more hits they're going to get and the more hits they get and the more uh, traffic they generate on their blog um they are going to look at you know getting some um money for blogging uh, it's not it's not something you can live on obviously but i mean if, if you want to, if you're a meteorologist and want to just want to blog part-time, or if you're a weather enthusiast or a college meteorologist or, or whatnot, we're trying to find bloggers from all over the country. And the way to get that out is to, you know, to get people to blog for you. And a lot of people, I mean, advertisements pay, obviously, everybody knows that. So giving a little piece back to the blogger is a way that we can, you know, generate a, a new person to our site, maybe a future employee to the weather pros team um, that would transition from uh, live weather blogs over to our team. I mean, we're actively looking for a, for bloggers that are in college and weather enthusiasts. You don't have to be a great meteorologist. We just want you to blog about the weather in, and in your area and generate uh, your own following and get better at it we want we want to promote meteorology and um the science and the best way to do that is to let people uh share that out on social media and then you know on our, on our page we can feature that so then they can have a featured blog and it makes it makes them a little bit of money so that's just how that works okay and um one, one more quick question off your website and i'll hand it back over to, to the guys here uh, I see that you also have a consumer product that you offer called the Snowplow Package. What is that? And uh, tell, tell our viewers a little bit about that product that you offer. Okay. Um, with the Weather Pros, what we do is we mainly do outdoor, uh, we forecast outdoor interactive text messages, video messaging, um, so forth. And we send that everybody gets a, in the wintertime, during the months, during the winter, up to usually around March. If it goes towards April, we'll send it out to April. Um, but um, for snowfall, we have a lot of people that are plow drivers, that are uh, people that are working at schools that are, that are in charge of uh, removing snow, uh, roofers, stuff like that. So what happens is we offer them a package based on what they actually, um, how many trucks they may have, how many zip codes they may want, um, things like that. And we're very reliable. We're told we're one of the cheapest that people have seen, and we are – have become more accurate. We've taken them away from, taken uh, some clients away from uh, other clients, um, other places that have a well-known name um, out there in the weather world. And I'm not going to name any, anybody specific, but um, we take a lot of clients from certain places because our product is first very clear and decisive. We have a text message that's, that is interactive. If they need to text us back, they can text us back, and we can answer their questions. 24 hours a day. They are all, we're on call 24 hours a day. We have a rotating schedule during the winter time. And then there's post snowfall verifications, which a lot of people are really getting into. Uh, yeah. A lot of people are actually getting into the post storm verification, which is actually my bread and butter. That's what I do. And I have a client list uh, that basically I, I try to get them out as quick as six hours after a storm. If I can grab data within six hours of a storm, I'm trying my best to get them the data the quickest they can get it. So, and it's accurate. You know, we use multi-sources. We just don't use the PNSs off of the weather service. We have three, we have at least three sources that we use. 
um, including radar data that I analyze to put out these um, storm reports. And it's called the triple, triple verification system. So, so that's how that works. Uh, anybody that's interested in that, and it, it drives a snowplow or does even outdoor work, during the summer, we do landscapers. So if you're a landscaper, you can sign up for our deals too. We'll give you a good deal. Uh, definitely uh, better packed than most of the uh, other places you hear of. So we're very yeah. competitively close. Verifications, uh, I tell you, that's one thing, that's one of my shortfalls, <laughs> is actually taking the time to go back and verify what you forecast, even if it's rain or if it's wind. Um, a lot of times that requires blogging, which is good. I think blogging is great for verification. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if, if that's that's one one reason as forecasters, um, you know, a lot of the public thinks that our, our work goes into the, the real-time effort ahead of it, going into it, and then that's it, it's over. But really, that's only half, the, half of it right there for the forecasting. Um, the other half is going back and looking at the data and seeing if it verified where you, what you forecast and where. Correct. And, and the big thing is with like, we, we have, I have, I have a client in Roanoke. Uh, he's a year round client. He likes our products so much that he uses us year round. Um, he's a small operation, but if you're accurate and you do the job that you want, they're willing to pay for that product. An app only gives you, an app's good, but only gives you majority of the apps only give you one, one, uh, forecast period. Um, one model over a period of uh, what, 12 hours. So you, the forecaster automatically generate off that one model and that's just poor. Um, that's why we push, hey, we actually go through, we actually forecast. You can actually talk to us if you want to, call our number, we'll pick up our phone, we'll, we'll talk to you in the middle of the night. I'll talk to people at three in the morning in the middle of snowstorms up in DC. I mean, it's fun, it makes it fun, and it makes it, enter it makes it entertaining, it makes it why you love what you do. and. People like in the Carolinas, if you want to get involved, we have things like when hurricanes come through and coastal storms, we put out, you know, what, what kind of flooding we expect. I mean, we go into all different types of weather. We have townships along the Jersey Shore that use us for that purpose. Um, so it's, it's just, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing to have. And we're in over 20 states uh, in the nation. Uh, our, our company is in them states from the Midwest and Northeast down through here. So... One thing, Dean, I was going to ask you about, um, kind of dealing with the southeast. Before I, my next question is, um, our our company does a little winter forecast of, of what we expect for our our area that that follows us. But uh, one thing that we notice, especially with the pattern that's going on right now, is uh, there could be an uptick in northwest flow events, uh, especially for the ski slopes uh, in the Carolinas up into West Virginia, places like that. Is that something you guys are seeing as well? And I would say yes to that. And, and the reason I say that is when we get into these El Nino patterns, we get drier than normal air. But that doesn't mean drier all the way around. When you get these northeast of, northwest events, we get these strong winds coming over to lakes. That lake effect snow generate that too. So West Virginia gets the lake effect snow in the uh, upslope instead of North Carolina based off of the warm lakes up in uh, Lake Erie and in that area. So, yes. Um, that is very true. The more dry air, basically, the more chances you're going to see on upslope events uh, in the northwestern facing mountains and uh, around the coastline. Well, we got about 10 minutes left. So, for those snow lovers who 
may live here in the Carolinas and we're not going to get that big of a wintertime uh, event. If you were to tell us, uh, give us uh, three locations that you guys are really monitoring that you think is going to be uh, the big jackpots in the snowfall category uh, once the winter is over. Uh, for your state? Yeah, well, no, not for North Carolina, just in the country. Country. Um, yeah. I'm going to always say uh, New York's uh, other Buffalo or Syracuse. They're going to be drilled with uh, – Northwestern winds over the lakes. So you're going to get that uh, that kind of pattern. That's one area I would say. I would say another area. Let's see, I'm going to say Des Moines, Iowa, and then um, I'm going to put a um, East Coast city in there, and I'm going to say that um, an area such as Philadelphia may uh, get one good storm that pushes uh, above forecasted values. Well, you guys have anything else? Um, Jay or David? I was looking, looking at um, Charleston. What do you think about us here along the South Carolina coast for the winter? What's your thoughts? Well, obviously, you don't get a lot of snow in Charleston, South Carolina. Um, I think uh, when we do get the nor'easters, there is a the potential for, like I said, I am worried about ice. I wouldn't be surprised to get an ice storm down there. I'll be truthful with you. I've seen it happen over the last five, six years um, in somewhat of a weak La Nina pattern. So that, and then you transition to getting more towards the February, March timeframe where we start getting active in the Southeast because La Nina and uh, your neutral phases sometimes produce more severe weather. I would think that may be an issue also down towards the Charleston, South Carolina area. Yeah. We get some days where it'll be 65 to 70 degrees, and then within 36 hours, we're seeing sleet, possible snowflakes. It's, it's kind of it's crazy, but we also watch the stratosphere and the, the polar, I mean, the, the known polar vortex. Uh, <laughs> but the displacement recently shows just how strong, um, how severe the weather can get on the other side of the world. Look at Siberia, look at Northern Europe, Russia. They're just getting hammered. One snowstorm after another on that side, but over here, our snowpack is not even near normal for where it should be over Canada and Alaska. So we're we're lacking on our side, but that's going to swing at some point, and we're going to see some significant winter events coming in the United States at some point. I mean, that's just winter in general, but uh, the question is when. I, like I said, I think it's going to be uh, more or less late to, anywhere from late December to mid February. You think? Yeah, do you think the polar stratosphere is going to tilt this way? I think it's a uh, there's a chance of those few pieces of the polar vortex coming off and uh, doing that. Yes, I do. All right. Well, I'll make sure to put it on the wall of you win some, you lose some in our lab. <laughs> exactly. Right, it's not an exact science. It's <laughs> do the best we can do with what the information we got. Yeah, we, we sort of have had a little bit of a competition for bragging rights in the meteorology lab. And um, some of it has been uh, tropical forecasts. Other have been when this drought will end. A couple of people have gone with uh, recent climatology and forecasting the second week of February will get a snowstorm in Charlotte. Um, so in the past years now, I think, two or three years, um, we've had a good snowstorm in mid-February. But I'm 
I'm banking on a late February to early March. I'm going way out on a limb because the last time we got a significant snowfall after a hurricane uh, was Hurricane Hugo in 1989. And we had about 10, almost 12 inches of snow, which, by the way, Dean, you need to update that on your site. I think you had like 5.9 inches in 1996. Uh, but the um, I'm kind of going out on a limb and thinking we could see – just, just by coincidence, I wouldn't say that that's going to happen every time we have a hurricane make a landfall on the South Carolina coast, but we'll see what happens. It would be a very interesting coincidence if that were to happen this year. Yep, absolutely would. All right, guys. Well, All right. well, Dean, I'll let you. With it being five minutes still. Yeah. Okay. I was going to close it. It's got to go. Oh, go ahead. No, that's fine. Go ahead. Okay. Um, well, Dean, what we usually do is uh, at the end of the show, like whenever we have a new desk, guest, um, we let them plug their social media. You can go ahead and plug your site. Uh, I have it pulled up. I can do a quick screen share. Um, but yeah, go ahead and plug your social media for people get in contact with you. Okay. Uh, Facebook, it's hard to see on this one, but facebook.com backslash live weather blogs. That's how you're going to get us on Facebook. Um, our Twitter account for the three main meteorologists is Chief Meteorologist Rob Garino is at Rob Garino 2009. Myself is at DDDLWB and meteorologist Jarrett Moore at 17 Philly Fan 17. So that is our, our Twitter handles and our uh, Facebook page. Uh, obviously, liveweatherblogs.com if you want to blog. Um, you can email me at Dean at theweatherpros.com uh, for information on the blogging. Um, you can also uh, go to thewinterforecast.com to look at your cities. And if you're a contractor who wants to uh, get involved with the Weather Pros, uh, text forecasts and uh, information, uh, go to theweatherpros.com and sign up there 10 seconds and you'll be in there. Free 10-day trial. All right. All right. Well, if there's anything else from the panel, I've got one thing to close the show out. I'm good. Yep. All right. Go for it. Well, uh, right now it is T minus two days, 20 hours, 44 minutes, and 53 <laughs> seconds until the goes are launch. Uh, this will be the. Um, I can't remember the the geostation what day, operational. What day and time is that kit? <laughs> you lost me there. What day and time is that? Uh, that is Saturday, November nineteenth, uh, at five fifty-two p.m. Eastern Standard. Um, it'll be the launch of the geostationary operational environmental satellite R series. Um, this is going to be like basically our answer to the Himawari eight satellite, mm -hmm. I presume. Um. And it's been delayed a little bit. If you recall back during Hurricane Matthew, um, NASA said, well, with the launch window, I had yeah. to do the pun. I had to do the pun. Um, but yeah, hopefully uh, this high pressure that's been moving in over the southeast um, will uh, just make for perfect clear skies and clear um, launch all the way through uh, as it makes its way um, out to geostationary orbit. I uh, saw a video earlier today of like the whole launch plan. It's a day or so, um, actually about a week for it to finally get into 
a geostationary orbit over uh, the south of Mexico's eastern Pacific Ocean. Um, we're just going to be sitting and observing the eastern or western hemisphere. That's so cool. I can't wait for it. Uh, I, I'm just I'm wondering when they're going to start, uh, you know, putting parts of it online for usage. Hopefully they'll have some of those parts by the time hurricane season rolls around by next year. But it could be upwards of a year before we start to see a, a steady stream of data output from it. And, and the first thing is just getting this thing up into space. We all hope that the launch goes well. Um, but everything's looking optimistic. They stenciled the runway today, and we got Ricky Matthews, our panelist. He's out. He's down there now, uh, mm -hmm. waiting on the launch. So he's going to be covering that. And yep. it's it's a it's a huge um, it's it's a huge step forward for the United States um, to have the Eastern Hemisphere covered. You know, it is it is kind of the answer to Himawari Eight, which was from Japan, but now they just launched the Himawari Nine, so they're already. Mm -hmm advancing their technology a little bit more. I, don't, I can't imagine how much better it could get. Maybe they're going to have more sectors included in what they're looking at, maybe the northern, northern, far northern Pacific, maybe even the polar areas. Uh, so it would be exciting to see what happens uh, with the Gozar. Yeah, very exciting for many, many in the weather community. Oh, yeah, at the, National weather, at the National Weather Association conference, they went over what some of the products may look like. It's amazing. It really is. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed that conference a lot. It'll We're, certainly help out with Dvorak techniquing on, on uh, tropical cyclones. Sorry, Kate, go ahead. One of the things I would love to see, uh, it, it's a matter of funding, and we'll never get enough funding, but one of the things that a geostationary orbiting satellite uh, can't do is really it can't monitor the high latitudes or the poles. But um, there, there is a way that you could, uh, if you had like multiple satellites in a very elliptical orbit, um, it's called a Mjolnir orbit, it's like a Russian thing, um, but basically it, uh, it has a very low perigee and then on the opposite side it has a much higher apogee so it just slingshots around and you can have a series of these so that you always have one that's viewing the top levels of the atmosphere or of, of the Poles. Yeah. That's too. That's, that's really again, cool. You need to launch multiple of them, and we'll never do that. So that's an elliptical sort of orbit. Um, now, also with that, with Gozar, another exciting portion of what they're putting up there is uh, lightning detection. The first ever geostationary mm -hmm. lightning detection. Um, first, first one of its kind. So, yeah, I mean, I'm excited about that too. We'll be able to see how much energy is actually out there. I mean, I can even you can they could get a snapshot of all the lightning over a certain period of time. And then you could see just how much energy it's generating. That's going to be amazing to see. Um, uh, former uh, grad student, Thomas Winesett, uh, he, he did research when he was uh, here at UNC Charlotte. I did see that too. Well, if there are any other announcements, I think we might go ahead and wrap up the show. Shay, do you have the upcoming shows? Last week I kind of screwed up the schedule. Actually, yes, I do. Let me pull them up real quick for the events. And next week, <clears throat> next week we're off because it's Thanksgiving. Uh, so we wish all of our viewers a, a, a happy Thanksgiving and, and have a good time with families or friends, whoever you spend it with. Uh, the week after that, we come back on November the 30th 
We're going to be reviewing the 2016 hurricane season. That is the official last day of the hurricane season. And we have a, a special guest with us, Michael Lowry of the Weather Channel will be joining. Uh, he's a, the hurricane specialist for the Weather Channel. And then after that, on December the 7th, we have Dr. Marshall Shepard of the Weather Geeks. Um, Weather Geeks on the Weather Channel, and he's going to be coming on to talk about the real threats of flooding, which we've seen a lot of this past summer and even last year with the October flooding event. So one of the, the least discussed, it seems like, ahead of systems is the, the severe damage that flooding causes and the, and the threat that it poses. And uh, we saw that just recently with Hurricane Matthew in North Carolina, uh, Southeast North Carolina. And after that, December the 14th, we are going to be doing the Weather Spotter Network with WFMY. And then we're booked all the way into January, so we have Flying into the Storm. Scotty, what, what is the, the January 11th one all about? Uh, that's the Hurricane Hunter show that we um, had to reschedule with Dr. Eric Blake from the National Hurricane Center. So um, I think when he was coming on, we had either Hermine or Matthew. I can't remember which one. I think it was Hermine. So we uh, finally have uh, Eric back on the show uh, there in January to talk about uh, the process of what the this hurricane service or center does as they uh, fly into the storm and get all the information and relay it back to us. Right. Yeah. So we're we're working on a couple of other shows. We have a couple of openings. If if any of the viewers have a great topic uh, they want to come on, we have um, December the twenty first and December the twenty eighth open. I'm working on NOAA Digital Coast to talk about geospatial um, laser imaging and, and flood sea level rise. That's a, a huge topic right now, what's going on, especially with king tides ongoing uh, around the United States. We're seeing a lot of flooding every single morning here, in, in, at least in Charleston. We're seeing some, some significant flooding events and road closures. This is becoming a normal thing over time. So what, it, what the flooding is today will, will be tomorrow. You can kind of view it that way. Um, and then we're also looking at uh, – Scotty, what else did we, were we looking at today? Oh, oh, also I'm trying to get someone from Surfline to come on to talk about wave forecasting along the coast. Um, so, man, we'll, we'll see what happens. Maybe we can get someone from Surfline on December the 21st. Yeah, we're doing that, and uh, we've got uh, some fillers out for uh, Weather Folklore uh, with John Belsky up in Louisville, Kentucky, and also uh, trying to get uh, some people on from the National Drought Center to kind of talk about the drought here in the southeast and um, just how um, the weather that we've had led up to our drought conditions that we are seeing right now. So have a lot of uh, lions in the pond. We're just waiting for some fish to bite. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I guess uh, that'll be it. Uh, we, like Shay said, I hope, uh, we hope everyone has a great Thanksgiving. Uh, enjoy your uh, time with family and friends. And until then, we'll see you on the 30th with Dr. Michael Lowry from the Weather Channel. We're still live? <laughs> yeah. It says live. Bye, everyone. <laughs>